On Monday, I messaged Ryan about something on my phone and he replied with these words, thanks baby. I kid you not, thanks baby. He then proceeded to send me a whole flurry of texts to reassure me that it was his autocorrect that had done this and it, and it wasn't him and it wasn't intentional. I suspect that actually he was probably texting a certain someone else by the name of Indy and at the same, probably at the same time as me and I ended up with her message. At least I hope so. And I shared an office now with Ryan for about uh, 10 years, this office in fact, and, and I'd like to think that he admires me and looks up to me a little bit. I, I'd like to think I've been a good influence on him, but I certainly don't want him calling me baby. Definitely not. I, I'm hoping that I've been a good influence on Ryan over the last 10 years. Maybe Indy will be the best person to judge that in a few weeks' time when she begins to live with Ryan, when they get married. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We, we all have far more influence on other people's lives than we realise, especially those of us who are in leadership roles and positions of influence. And it's so important, therefore, that we are a godly influence. I'm really grateful to God for a number of people in my life that I can think of who, who've been a godly influence uh, in my life and to me. People that I've admired and have been a godly influence on me just by me watching their behaviour or just by being around them, really. But I've also had people in my life that have been a bad influence on me. Bible says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Whether we like it or not, we are always being influenced by things or people around us. And because of that, we need to be really, really careful about who and what we let influence us. We mustn't kid ourselves that we can hang out with people that have completely different belief systems and therefore different morals and ethics and so on without us being influenced by them to some degree. We mustn't kid ourselves that we can watch and read stuff without it influencing us. We have to be really careful because we are often influenced by the behaviour and the standards of the world around us without even realising it. Those around us will either influence us in a good way or in a bad way. But as well as being influenced by others, we ourselves will also be an influence on other people. And, and, we, and we can be a good influence. And of course, we can also be a bad influence. The reality is that we are all influencing other people and we're all being influenced by other people. Last week, as uh, Joel looked at the first nine verses of uh, 2 Timothy 3, we saw how Paul warned Timothy about false teachers who were uh, a terrible influence on other people and on the church. But today we're going to see how we can be influenced by godly people and how we ourselves can be a godly influence in other people's lives. So we're going to read what Paul has to say to Timothy in the next bit that we're looking at of his second letter. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and we're going to read verses 10 to 17. So if you've got a Bible you can turn and, and read or I think the words should be up on the screen for you as well. This is what Paul says in verse 10. You however know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, 
so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Paul had already spent and has spent a considerable amount of time in this second letter that he wrote to Timothy, warning him about false teachers and people who wreck churches. But now he switches from what's really been quite negative to positive. And he encourages Timothy to be someone who is influenced by godly people, but also to be someone who is a godly influence himself. Paul wanted to encourage and challenge Timothy to be the very opposite of the false teachers and the deceivers, just as Paul himself had been throughout his own Christian life. If Paul could do it, then so could Timothy. Paul was living proof. He was living out that proverb that we read earlier, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Paul being a good influence on those around him. Timothy needed to guard himself and ensure that the influences on his life were good and godly ones. And he needed to, he needed to ensure that he was also being a godly influence on other people. Paul had been a massive part of Timothy's life so who better for Paul to point Timothy towards than himself and his own example so Paul says in verse one you however in contrast to the the false teachers he, he says you however know all about my teaching my way of life my purpose my faith patience love and endurance persecution sufferings what kind of things happened to me in Antioch Iconium and Lystra the persecutions I endured Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Timothy knew all about Paul's teaching. He'd received two letters from Paul now. He was co-author with Paul of six of Paul's letters. And he'd spent a lot of time with Paul. So he knew what Paul taught. He knew the gospel inside out. He knew the scriptures. He knew the kind of life that Paul lived. A life that lived up to what Paul taught. He knew that what that Paul's purpose was to glorify God in everything he did. He knew the faith and the patience that Paul had. He knew the, the love that Paul had for God and for people. And he knew the endurance that Paul had demonstrated through at what at times what were some really terrible circumstances. Paul had on one occasion been stoned and left for dead when he was in Lystra, which was where Timothy was from. And it was that occasion probably when Timothy first met Paul and heard him preach. So Paul had been a massive influence on Timothy's life. And the, and the reason that that in itself was a good thing was because Paul himself was a devoted follower of Jesus. Paul could say these, wrote, uh, these words when he wrote his letter to the church in Corinth. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul wanted Timothy to follow his example as a devoted follower of Jesus rather than the example of what he calls evil men and impostors. Men who were false teachers and who deceived people and caused havoc in the life of Christian believers. We will all have positive and negative influences in our lives. There will be some that are an ungodly influence in our lives and there will be some that are really godly influence in our lives. So it's good to regularly ask ourselves and it's good to stop and do that this morning. Who or what is a godly influence on me? And who or what is an ungodly influence on me? Let's just pause for a moment and think about that question. Who or what is it that is a godly influence in your life? And who or what is it that is an ungodly influence in your life? Let's just pause and think about that for a moment. Big questions. We can't always remove ourselves from situations where we face ungodly influences and neither should we sometimes. 
We need to stay and make a difference and bring transformation uh, into the world around us. But we do need to be aware of people and situations that are an ungodly influence. At, at the very least, we can take action to guard our hearts and our minds. And it may be that in some cases we do have to remove ourselves completely from those situations or, or from the influence of some people. But at the same time, if we can identify the people that are a godly influence in our lives, then we need to be intentional about spending more time with those people and, and learning from them. But Paul then gives Timothy a warning, because if Timothy continues to look to Paul as an example to follow, then just like Paul, Timothy is going to find himself facing persecution. Paul says in verses 12 and 13, in fact, he says this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And Paul doesn't say that every Christian will be persecuted. What he says is that those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's talking about Christians who really want to devote themselves to living for God. Not every Christian does, sadly. He's talking about those who really want to take their Christian life seriously, like Paul did, and as a result, stand out because their lives are totally different from the world around them and from the people around them. The reality is that sooner or later, if we are authentically following Jesus, if we are radical followers of Jesus, which is what we're called to be, and we're living the way that the Bible instructs us to, then we will face opposition and persecution, just as Paul did. Jesus said these words, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Sobering words. For us here in the UK, it's not going to mean arrest and torture and death. It does for many Christians around the world today, but it doesn't here, not yet anyway. It's unlikely to be as overt as that for us. It's much more likely here in the UK to be in subtle and passive ways. It might mean being shut out of conversations, uh, excluded from events at work or, or excluded from uh, gatherings of family and friends really subtle things but quite powerful and unpleasant all the same there are of course two ways in which christians can avoid being persecuted and if you're anything like me then you will struggle with the temptation to do both of these things firstly if we live lives that just look the same as everybody else's around us and if we just fit in with the world around us then nobody will have a problem with us that's really tempting to do that isn't it just fit in Go with the flow, not stand out, get our heads down, live an easy life. It's really tempting. Secondly, we can do something quite different. We can withdraw from the world around us so that we have nothing to do with non-Christians and, and we just live in a Christian bubble. And again, we're unlikely to have any problems then because we're not really interacting with any non-Christians. The problem is with both of those things is that if we're living lives as authentic followers of Jesus, then we really can't do either of those things our lives have to look and be different to those around us which will inevitably create problems for us sooner or later we're going to stand out and that will sometimes make us unpopular and we mustn't withdraw from the world around us either because then how will we be able to reach out 
to non-Christians around us with the good news about Jesus and, and how will we be able to have a godly influence and make a difference in this world. Can I encourage you this morning to live a life of radical commitment to Jesus, even if that causes you to face persecution and opposition? And can I encourage you this morning not to withdraw from the world around you, as tempting as that might be, and it would certainly make life easier. It's tempting to do both of those things or, or either of those things. But instead, let, let's be people who stay in the world and are a godly influence on the non-Christians around us and on the and on the world around us in the hope that our influence might be the means by which some put their faith and their trust in Jesus. In contrast to those Paul refers to as the evil men and the imposters who go from bad to worse in this kind of downward spiral, Paul challenges Timothy to be the opposite of that and to press onwards and upwards. He says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Christian life is meant to be a continuous life of learning about God, getting to know him better and becoming more like Jesus and, and, and learning what it means to live for God and serve him. Timothy had benefited hugely in the past from the input of and, and, and the influence of his mother and his grandmother and, of course, from Paul himself more latterly in his life. But it was important that he continued to grow and develop now and in the future both personally as a follower of Jesus, but also in his Christian work and in his Christian ministry as a church leader. You know, it doesn't matter whether we've been a Christian for a few days, a few weeks or for 50 years or so. We all need to continue to grow. You, you should have an outline or, or you might have been sent one of these on email during the week. And on the outline this morning, you might want to write some of these points down. We need to continue to learn to grow, to be equipped and to serve God. Write that on your outline. I need to continue to learn, grow, be equipped and to serve God. If Timothy needed to continue doing these things, then we certainly do. We've never arrived. We, we, we all need to continue learning and growing. Can I encourage you this morning to think through what that might mean and look, look like for you, wherever you're at in life? And, and it will mean different things for different people depending on what life stage you're at. What steps can you take to learn more and to grow more like Jesus? And what steps can you take to be better equipped to serve God and live for him? What does that look like for you? What will it look like for you to continue in what you've learned so far in your Christian walk? Paul reminds Timothy in verse 15 that he's known the Holy Scriptures since infancy, since he was a small child. And we saw this back in chapter one, verse five, where Paul says to Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded, I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy had benefited hugely from the godly influence of his mother and his grandmother as they taught him from the Bible right from uh, infancy, from being a little child. It might have been Paul who actually led Timothy to put his faith in Jesus when he was a young man, but the groundwork had already been done by his mother and his grandmother. And, and, you know, this gives us a fantastic example of just how important it is that Christian parents teach their children about God and the gospel from the Bible. I've, I've heard some Christian parents say this, you know, I mustn't put my 
beliefs onto my children. I, I've, I've got to let them make their own decisions. Otherwise, I might be brainwashing them. And I, and I can't do that. You know, if we believe that, then we have fallen for one of Satan's lies. We really have. Because if we don't teach our children about God and about the gospel and how to, how to trust in him, who will? Their friends, their schools, TV, the movies they watch, social media, the music they listen to will all be actively influencing our children and often in a very ungodly way, in the very opposite way to the way we should be influencing them from the Bible. Our kids are being brainwashed all the time. The question is, what are we allowing them to wash their brains with? Let me repeat that. Our kids are being brainwashed all the time. Everybody is being brainwashed. The question is, what are we washing our brains with? What are we allowing our children's brains to be washed with? You see, if I want to be a godly influence on my children, then I need to teach them from the Bible. Write that on your outline. If I want to be a godly influence on my children, if you want to be a godly influence on your children, you need to teach them from the Bible. It's not going to happen by accident. If God has blessed you with a child, then that is wonderful. It's amazing. But it's also really serious because with great blessing comes great responsibility. We can't force our children to trust in Jesus. That, that's not what it's about at all. And we can't make that decision for them. But we can do everything in our power to live a godly life in front of them as a great example to them. Children watch their parents all the time. They, they watch their values, their, their standards and their behavior, who they really are in private. And we must never underestimate the influence that we're having on our children. But it's not just about that kind of passive influence. We need to be more proactive than that. We have a responsibility. In fact, it's a command in the Bible that as parents, we need to teach our children from the word of God, the Bible. Some Christian parents as well think that it's their church's responsibility to teach their children about God. It's not. If you have children and you are relying on this church's uh, and uh, children and youth program to uh, teach your children, no matter how good it might be. And we've got a great kids and, and, and teens program here in this church. If you're relying on that, then you've got it wrong. Our children are a gift entrusted by God to us as parents and their spiritual development is our responsibility. It isn't anybody else's responsibility. A church family can and should help. Absolutely. But it's primarily my responsibility to raise my children in a godly way. We need to teach the scriptures to our kids. We need to pray with our kids and pray for our kids. And we need to model Christ to our kids. Timothy became a great man of God, but that was largely down to the fact that he had a godly mother and a godly grandmother who from infancy had taught him the Holy Scriptures. Those of us who have children will have them with us for around perhaps 18 years of their life. So let's do all that we can to be a godly influence in their lives and and, and, and teaching them from the Bible so that they can respond to God's offer of salvation and equipping them then to serve God. The, the greatest ministry we will ever have as parents is not our work. It's not what we do outside. It's our children. They are our greatest gift and our greatest responsibility. And they are our greatest ministry in life is to raise our children in a godly way. But it's not just our kids that we need to teach the Bible to. If, as Paul says in verse 15, the Holy Scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus, then we need to be a godly influence in the lives of the non-Christians that we know and to do what we can to expose them to the Bible and the contents and the teachings and the truths of the Bible as well. Now, we should never be embarrassed by the Bible 
or of the Bible because it's the living word of God. Millions of people throughout history have trusted in Jesus just by reading a Bible. This Christmas, if you're giving a Christmas card or a, or a gift to a non-Christian, then can I encourage you or, or suggest to you, why don't you include one of these in it? This is um, uh, it's a part of the Bible. It's John's Gospel. It's got a cover on it that says the best gift. Why not put one of these in your Christmas card or your uh, gift that you're sending to a family member or to a work colleague or whatever? Why don't you give one of these to all your neighbours in your street or in your court? Why don't you uh, give all these to your, you know give one of these to your work colleagues? If you want one of these, uh, I can get them for you or I can help you uh, buy them. They're really really cheap. In fact, they're free. The idea is that you just donate towards them. But a fantastic resource, John's Gospel, with the way of salvation explained in the back. You'll stand out for sure, and you might get some opposition, and you might get some persecution. But you might also be the means by which one of them reads the Bible, finds out about Jesus, and puts their faith and trust in him and is saved. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to do? Wouldn't that be phenomenal this Christmas? Why is the Bible so powerful? How can people sometimes get saved just by reading a Bible on their own? Well, part of the answer is found in verse 16. Paul says this, all scripture is God breathed. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word this phrase is translated from is theonustus. Theo equals God and new means breath. In other words, breathed out by God. God breathed. And it's, it's what we sometimes call or, or, or refer to as the inspiration of Scripture. And it simply means that every word of the Scriptures, the Bible, in the, in the original manuscripts came from God. Every word from God. We can define this as follows. The inspiration of Scripture refers to the process by which the Holy Spirit supernaturally influenced and directed the writers of the Bible so that their writings were an exact record of events or were the actual words of God. Every word of this book, every word of this amazing book, every word of this book is God-breathed in the original manuscripts. And because every word is from God, then we can also say that we believe in what we call or refer to as the inerrancy of Scripture. And we can define inerrancy, biblical inerrancy, as follows. The inerrancy of Scripture means that Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. The inerrancy of scripture means that scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. Every word is from God. And so every word is 100 percent trustworthy and reliable. And because that's true, when people who are not yet Christians uh, read the Bible, they often get saved. That's why it's so important that we get the Bible into the hands of people who've yet to trust in Jesus. But it's also why. It's so important that as followers of Jesus, we personally read and study the Bible. It's one of the key ways that God speaks to us. Paul says this, all scripture is God breathed and is useful, therefore, for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, it's true, of course, that Timothy had a special role as a regional church leader. And so these words were especially relevant for him. But they're just as applicable and relevant to each one of us today, if we're followers of Jesus this morning. There's two things that are going on in, this ver in, in these two verses. Firstly, as we read and study and spiritually feed on the Bible ourselves, it teaches us. It rebukes us. It corrects us. And it trains us in righteousness. God does this through his living word, the Bible. And that in turn means that we are thoroughly equipped 
to then share the Bible with others, whether they are Christians who need teaching and helping or whether they're non-Christians that need to come to faith in Christ and be saved. We're equipped in the sense that we grow more like Jesus and we're, and we're equipped in the sense that we gain biblical knowledge with which, with which we can then help others. So as God's servants, long before we try to help others, whether they are Christians or whether they're non-Christians, we need to soak our lives in these God-breathed words of the Bible. And that's not just something we need to do when we first become a Christian or when we're younger. It's something we need to do every day for the rest of our lives. The second thing that's going on in these verses is that as God's servants, the Bible should be our number one tool as we try to be a godly influence in other people's lives. As a full-time church elder here at Regent, one of my main tasks is to teach from the Bible. Sometimes like this, sometimes in small groups, uh, and sometimes on a one-to-one -one basis. And whether it's with a non-Christian or whether it's with a believer in Jesus, the task is essentially the same. Paul defines it for us as we've looked at. It's about teaching scripture, explaining what it says and means. It's about rebuking, applying it to people's lives and rebuking sin and calling sin out. It's about correcting, helping restore people and straighten them out and straighten them up. It's about training in righteousness, setting them free to live a godly life. And knowing that scripture equips God's servants, me, you, for every good work. If you've trusted in Jesus, then you also are one of God's servants. You might have a different role to that of Timothy, but you are nevertheless a servant of God. And so part of being a servant of God is about teaching and explaining what the Bible says and means to those around us, whether they're Christians or non-Christians. It's not about us rebuking and correcting and training people in right living. It's about us bringing people to the Bible and allowing the Holy Spirit to do that as we help them, as we help people around us engage with and read the words of God in the Bible. It might seem a bit countercultural to do this. I mean, who are we to teach people about God and rebuke sin and, and correct people and teach people how to live? It's, that's a very arrogant thing to do or to say in, the, in what is a very postmodern culture. You know, you've got your truth, I've got mine. Who am I to impose my ideas upon you? You know, I can't possibly do that. That's very much the spirit of the age, isn't it? What what right have we got as Christians to go and do this and, and, and teach others, whether they're Christians or non-Christians? Isn't it just a bit arrogant? Well, please, again, don't fall for that lie. It's, it's a very clever lie, but it's a lie. Look at the at, at, at these words of Jesus himself just before he returned up to heaven. This is These are his last words. All authority, he said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus has commanded us to do this. This is not us doing this off our own back because we think we're something special. Jesus has commanded us to do this. He is with us every step of the way. So let's step out in obedience to him and make disciples and humbly teach them to obey everything that he has commanded us. This morning, as we begin a new week, and as we go out into what is often a hostile world, let, let's make sure that we are being influenced by the right people and by the right things so that we are living godly lives.
Let's make sure our greatest influence is the Bible itself, the living word of God, God breathed and written down for us. Let's make sure that we are being a godly influence in our children's lives, that we're teaching them about God and the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Let's take seriously our role as servants of God to teach others from the Bible, whether they are Christians or non-Christians. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living, it is God-breathed, that it's the very words that have come from your mouth. We thank you that you've given it to us and we pray that we would uh, soak our lives in your word, that we would apply your word to our lives, that we would invest ourselves in your word, that we would become radical followers, radical disciples of Jesus. We would live godly lives, even if that means being persecuted, even if that means opposition. Help us, we pray, Father, to uh, be uh, those who live and, and eat and sleep and drink your word so that we might be a godly influence on those around us. And that we might be able to spot ungodly influences on our own lives. Help us to stand up and help us to go out and help us to, to teach others and to, to share the, the good news of your word with other people. Help us to be those who humbly reach out to believers and unbelievers alike around us and share the, the teachings of your word. That we might make disciples of all nations, teaching those around us to obey everything that you have commanded us. Help us to be these kind of people we pray. Help us to be those who are devoted to you and devoted to your word and living it out, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.